All right. Hey, good morning. You made it. You braved the storm of Southern California, and we're here. And extra bonus for you, because there's some great football games on, and I know in one hour from right now, the angels start. So I'm going to go quick. The mind cannot handle more than the seat can endure. Hey, um, here's what I want you to hear this morning, um, that we have no idea how good we have it. When I was a kid, you probably heard this too, your parents are telling the story. When I went to school, I had to walk five miles in the snow, uphill both ways. I'm thinking, uphill both, how does that work? It can only be one or the other. And you start to think about it, and you hear this, and like we, we had to like, you know, kill our, our lunch on the way, and all of these legends, all of these things going on. But kids these days, right? Like, I'm, I'm now just about old enough where I can look at my own kids, and I'm like, kids these days. They have no idea. I looked up and here's some things. When I was a kid, some of you are younger and some of you are older, but when I was a kid, when you wanted to see a movie, you waited for the one summer kids movie to come out. And then you would go when it was actually released in the theater, you'd get like a really small thing of popcorn and a little thimble of Coke. You have to put it between your knees, hoping that you don't spill it because there's no cup holders in the seats. And you'd probably be seated next to a chain smoker because smoking was allowed during that time. And then later on, when you wanted to buy that movie, it would be released one year later, probably on VHS or beta, and then you were praying to God that when you rewound it, it the tape wouldn't break. Sometimes you had to get a pencil and like, rewind it by hand. I mean, th- those were the days. Kids these days, they have no idea how good they have it. How about music? When you wanted to listen to music on the go, you used this thing called a Walkman. It was like a large brick. And you couldn't go bike riding with your Walkman unless you had a basket. And if you're a guy, you can't have a basket on your bike because it's not cool. And if you liked a song and you wanted to own it, you begged your mom to bring you to the mall to buy the record or the cassette. Or you chained yourself to the stereo and you waited for the radio station to play it. And you had to hit record, but the DJ would always say something over it and totally ruin your recording. (laughs) If you wanted frozen yogurt, you would put YoPlay in the freezer. When there was a prize in a cereal box, it was actually in the cereal. It wasn't separately wrapped in a little plastic casing in between the bag of cereal and the box. It was all there. When you had to sell candy for school, you put it in a wagon. You walked the neighborhood by yourself, going door to door. No one worried that you would be kidnapped. I got a couple more. When you needed information for a school report, your mom drove you down to the library. It's a place that has books. And you would look up the Dewey Decimal number in the card catalog and you'd find your funky smelling book. The whole process took hours and hours. And then when you got a McDonald's Happy Meal because no other restaurants made kids meals at the time, you got a slider sized burger, six fries, eight cookies, five slugs of Coke and a toy. But they did not ask you what gender you wanted the toy for and it was usually made of delicious lead-based toxins. And if you wanted to take a picture, clip a coupon, look up a word, get directions, you broke out your camera, a pair of scissors, a dictionary, or a map, because there were no apps for that. Kids these days, they have no idea how good they have it. I want... (laughs) Thank you. I want us to know that the Lord God of heaven and earth is available to us that is inviting, intimately drawing us in and making his power available to you right now today. And we live mostly unaware of that power available to us in our lives. That's what this morning is about. We're in Ephesians chapter one, 
We're going to look at a prayer that Paul prayed in verses 15 to 23. In the Greek, this is all one big long sentence. And he prays this over the people of Ephesus that he probably hadn't seen in about five to six years. But he gets a report and, and he's praying. And the prayer overall, he's saying that I pray that you might know, that you might be enlightened. And he's trying to tell them, look, you have something here that you're not taking advantage. You're not living into what you have been given. There's another prayer that comes up in chapter 3, and it's that you might be or you might become. And so you step into that. But first we need to know. And, and I want us to sit with this and figure out what is God up to and what exactly is this life that he is inviting us into. First thing I want you to understand and know is that we have been invited into relationship with a God who gives us every spiritual blessing. You probably hear that. It goes in one ear and out the other, and you're all, okay, great. I got blessings. What do I do with that? Uh, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, and this is, we did this a couple weeks ago, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the blessing. And then Paul is, is writing this, and then we, we go to verse 15. And he says, for this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks. I do not, give, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He has given us every spiritual blessing. In Peter, it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. John Stott, who is a theologian commentator, this is what he says, and I think that he sums it up really well. He says, Some Christians seem to do little but pray for new spiritual blessings, apparently oblivious of the fact that God has already blessed them in Christ with every spiritual blessing, that he's already given everything that we need. Others lay such emphasis on the undoubted truth that everything is already theirs in Christ that they become complacent. And they appear to have no appetite to know or experience their Christian privileges more deeply. And so we end up on this scale. On one end, we just are completely ignorant and we have no idea that God has given us everything that we need to know. Everything that we need to have. His power at work in us so that we might live a godly life. He's given it to you already. And then we don't live into that. We don't take that in. And our prayer life becomes, God... Would you just give me this? Would you give me that? And I think that God has this sense up there just saying, I already have. I already have. But then some of us, we just take advantage of that and we are on the other side of complacency. God's given me everything I need so I can just kind of be lazy and I, I don't really live into that because I have forgiveness, I have grace and, and so I'm just going to kind of miss out because I'm not going to take in what God has already given me. And so this God that we serve and what Paul is trying to say to the people of Ephesus is, hey, you are doing some really great things. And my prayer for you is that you keep going, but that you know how good that you have it. He has given you everything that you need. Not only that, God is inviting us to know him intimately. Intimately. Now, 
I hear the word intimacy and I start getting nervous and, and shaky. And I, uh, intimacy is hard for us. Like it's that face to face, like locking eyes with people. And God is inviting us to do the same. Um, and, and he says in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That word knowledge, and there's a few different words of knowledge in, in the Bible, but um, sometimes the word gnosis is, is used for knowledge. It's just to know and to, to understand certain things. But epignosis is, is a little bit different. It's, it's more so. In fact, uh, a, a phrase that I really loved was metabolized doctrine. It's not that we just know stuff, that we've read stuff, but we've taken it, we've ingested it, and now it is working out. The truth of God is working its way out into our bodies, into our lives, and it's metabolized. It's, it's happening. It's this greater knowing. It's this intimacy. Uh, a couple of guys guys have talked about this difference between the, the gnosis and the epignosis. And Lenski, he says, there may be a false gnosis, but never a false epignosis. The latter is a true, clear, full knowledge that is personally embraced. And in Lightfoot, he says, the compound epignosis is an advance upon gnosis, denoting a larger, more thorough knowledge. Hence, also, epignosis is used especially of the knowledge of God and of Christ as being the perfection of knowledge. And so what do we do with this, this God that is inviting us to know him in that way? Well, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you will know. Now, listen, uh, we're putting eyeballs on hearts. Just imagine that, what that looks like for a second. And Jewish thought was, I mean, it feels like it might be a little bit confusing, but if we could kind of take more than one metaphor, and we cram it into one sentence that this is actually enhancing its meaning. And so Paul is saying, the eyes of your heart, that they would be open, that your heart would be open, that your heart, which is the center of your intellect and your will and your emotion, that it would be opened up to know God. And this know is a different know. It's to know these facts. And he lists out three different things. That you would know the hope of his calling. And that's looking back into the past, that you have been called elected that God has brought you in and said you are mine and because of that hope that we have that calling in the past that we can have hope in the future but that you would also know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe so look at this we have in the past our calling which gives us hope for the future, but also there is this inheritance that's talked about. God wants us to know the riches of his inheritance. The word riches comes up a few times throughout Ephesians, and it's talking about the riches of God that God has bought us with the blood of his son. There is value that we are precious. In verse 14, chapter 1, um, we talked about this last week even, that you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Our inheritance, God gives us his spirit that is mightily working in us. But here is talking about God's inheritance. He gets an inheritance, but you know what his inheritance is? The riches of his inheritance is you and me, the saints. That we are what God wants. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but it's because of the grace that he's poured out. And then finally, God wants us to know the surpassing greatness of his power. So if we have like this timeline on this end, we have our past and the calling and looking forward to the hope of his inheritance. But that, that space in between is that right now, presently, we are supposed to be living in the power of God, the surpassing greatness of 
his power. But we have no idea how good we have it. We have no idea the great blessings. We don't live in that. Surely my life would look a lot different if I lived every day knowing that I have everything that I need, that God has given that to me, and that God is calling me into himself. I want to show you a clip. Uh, Jeff Gordon is a NASCAR driver, perhaps one of the greatest ones of all time. I think this is his final year. He's going to do the tour. And uh, he, he partners up with Pepsi, and they play this prank. They go to a car dealership. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but if you haven't, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, watch it. We might even watch it twice. Check out this video. More age on me, some wrinkles, a little dorky, maybe some facial hair. There's somebody that I can pull off a fun prank with. <laughs> Let's go have some fun. My good friends at Pepsi Max have hooked us up with this cool can cam. So these are the glasses cam to show you everything that I see. How you doing? Hello. I'm Mike. Steve, nice to meet you, Mike. I saw you sort of gravitated towards the Camaro. Are you thinking about getting one? Oh, no, no, no. This this way too much car for me. I'm Well, it's a lot of power, but they've designed it to be very safe. I don't know if I can handle it. I, I've never driven anything like this before. Well, I'll I tell you what. I think a way to really make you feel comfortable would be to put you behind the wheel. You're good. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a car. Mm-hmm. Well, we better buckle up. Yeah, good call. Power, power door locks, standard, of course. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice and easy. Head on out whenever you're ready. Are you ready to go ahead and yeah. drive? Okay. Yeah, sure. Oh, whoa. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, a little more than I'm used to. Yeah. Oh, but it's got some power, so just get a feel for it. Okay. Okay, all right. He's off. Just look. He's off. You are liable for any damages to the vehicle, so please stop the car. Slow, or at least slow down. Slow down. Slow down. You can't go through that gate, Mike. Stop. Stop. Watch it. Watch out. You're going to wreck this car. You're liable for it if you wreck it. <laughs> Mike, stop the car right now. Get up here. When you go home to YouTube, that this is the clean version. The one you might find at home is not as clean. He had some choice words, I understand. 
Think about this. Man, does life sometimes feel like that? You, you might think like, all right, Matt, you're talking about, we have no idea how good we have it. And you're thinking, Matt, you don't know my life. You don't know how actually bad I have it. And you're going through life and you're, it, it feels like, what is going on? I'm in the passenger seat and this is just crazy. And, and do, we, do we really just think about, what, what would it be like? This guy is going through a whirlwind of emotions and he has Jeff Gordon, quite possibly the greatest driver of all time, at the driver's seat. Do we realize that God is at the driver's seat for us in our life? That we just can take confidence in that and that he wants to know us intimately, that he loves us. There's an invitation there. I was talking to a kid in children's ministries. We were doing a response time, and the, the, the scenario came up. This, this kid was talking about, like, lacking faith, just kind of scared. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven, and is talking through, I, I know that I believe in God. I know stuff about God, but I'm just not sure if I love him. And at that moment, like, kind of, like, I'm, like, going through the catalog of Bible verses I could pull out, and I'm just thinking, like, it's not going to help. That is our, our scenario. We know a lot about God like we know baseball stats and baseball players, but we don't live in that intimacy. And so we struggle. Now, at, at Calvary, we, I, I want more for our community. I want us to be better together. I want this to be, there, there be the movement in our lives. And, and so with this, uh, part of our purpose statement is that we as a community want to connect with God and others. And I want us to think about in terms of our connection with God, that God has invited us in. He says, look, come in. I want an epignosis relationship. You can know me and I want to know you. And this is what this will look like. But he also wants that. And where we will, will end up here by the end of today is that that is also the relationship that we are being called to as a church. And the word church comes up a few times in the Bible, but even, even in Ephesians, the church is called a mystery. So we use pictures to try to describe what the church is supposed to be. But we have some distorted views of what that is. Some of these distorted pictures, and this is in your outline, you can check it out, but some distorted pictures uh, of the church. Number one, we might think that the church is like a gas station. It's the place where you go fill up your spiritual gas tank when you are running low. Get a good sermon Feeling kind of low, I'm going to give a good sermon, and that's going to keep me going for the next week. I just need a refill. Or, the church is a movie theater. Entertainment. An hour of escape in comfortable seats. Leave your problems at the door and come out smiling. Feeling better than when you went in. If I could just escape my reality for a little bit and just tune out and turn into something else, that's what church is for me. Maybe some of you, the church is like a drugstore where you can fill the prescription that will deal with your pain and in that way the church becomes therapeutic. You come here and I need something. I need to get that healing. And, and so we come. And then for some of us, the church is like a big box retailer. It's Costco. It's a one-stop shop. It has everything that you need. It offers the best products in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. Great service, low price. But then the church becomes very programmatic. What programs do you have for my kids? Do we have a homeless ministry? Do we have all of these different things that 
I want to make sure that it's all there. And if it's not all there, then this is not the church. The church can become very consumeristic when, when this is our lens. And, and there's no condemnation because for me, I'll be honest, church can, even as somebody who works here, uh, can be like a gas station. Man, I just feel like I need to get pumped up a little bit more. And for me, church can also be a movie theater. I just need to unwind. I need to be inspired again. That's, that's where I live a lot of times. And so this consumer mentality for us, like I'm coming and I'm shopping for a church. We come here and that's our expectation, but it's very like me focused. It's very, what can I get out of it? And I believe that there's a truer picture of what God is calling for us as the church. We'll get there. But what I want you to do is in a moment of honesty, not bearing all of your soul, but some of your soul, um, one, one value that we have in this series, Better Together, is that we are developing community. If we truly are better together, then maybe we can't come here, sit by ourselves, and not talk to anybody the entire time. Maybe we need to sit and talk to each other. So we've built in some time throughout this series, and there's three minutes less that I'll be talking, but you get to talk with each other. And I want you to just be honest about, and there's a, there's, this is not bearing your soul, but where do you find that you kind of live in? What, what most closely describes how you tend to view the church? Which one of these pictures? And then what do you think a better picture of what the church should look like? What is that? So we're going to do three minutes. If you're going real strong, I might give you four, four and a half. But let's do this. Everybody stand up. This is one of those things we do at Calvary Fitness. It's called a squat. Find a couple people. Do not let somebody sit by themselves. Go after them, bring them in, and talk for a couple minutes. Go. You've been granted 30 more seconds. Good job. All right. Let's come back together. You're ignoring me. Don't ignore me. <laughs> there you go. That was good. I wish I was done, but I'm not. And I'll say honestly, I love our Hispanic ministry because they hang out just for such a long time afterwards. Like, this, this place is open. Like, continue the conversation. This is a really great thing. I, I don't want us to just like, it's, well, we have the angels game. Do it next week. But anyway, um, <laughs> next week will be really good. We'll start tomorrow. All right. Um, here's the idea, though. If, if this is your picture of church, if this is the motivation for us with church, like, how much loyalty do we have to gas stations? I mean, most of the time it's Arco, but you have to pay the extra 35 cents, which kind of drives you crazy. But like, for the most part, we're going for like the place that is, is cheaper or it's the place that's close. We don't have a lot of loyalty to that. What is it about that that we can maybe like, if, if God has a different picture of what, what church is supposed to be, that we do that and that there is a, a closeness. I, I want to get to that. But not only have we been invited to, to know and to receive these spiritual blessings that God has already given to us. Not only are we invited to know God more intimately, but we are invited to live today in the power of God.
So in verses 18 and 19, he says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his, uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he gives some illustrations of this power. What kind of power is it? It's this. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. The strength of his might. He is working, it's energized by the strength to overcome the power of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You mean to tell me that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and then placed him at his right hand, that power is available to us today? Yes. We have no idea how good we have it. We think that we have some kind of bite-sized version of that power that's not nearly as powerful. But the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. And it says, high above all rule, high above all authority and power, above dominion, that he's higher than the angels, that, that God has placed Jesus at his right hand and that in our lives that we are to be stepping into that. But not only that power, it's also the same power that he put all things in subjection under his feet. God put all things, all of creation under subjection, under the feet of his son. What Adam lost out in in the garden, because at first he was given dominion over all of creation, naming creation that we were supposed to care for, lost out through sin, Jesus won back through obedience. And because of that, all things, all creation, that power too is available to us. But not only that power, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That the church is filled with the power of God and the blessings of God. He fills the church with himself. So that we are not a means to the end, but we are the end in itself. That, that we are called to live this out. To live our lives out in the power of God. And he says that he's put Jesus, his son, as the head. And that we are the body. And this is a picture for us of unity. That God chose and still chooses today to do his best work through us. Through the church. But that can't happen if you come here thinking, I just need to get healed. I just need to, like, obviously, God wants to do some of those things in our life. We want healing, but that happens in the power of us working together. That happens as we claim what He has done and we work that out. But that we are God's tool, we are God's instrument, we are the light of the world. And so, as we come together, as we do this, as we are better together, 
then God is glorified. His power is then revealed in us. That is the power. So what are some true pictures of the church? In the Bible, we get a couple of pictures. Number one is that we are called the bride. And if we are the bride, then he is the bridegroom. And so what does that look like for us to live in a holiness, an expectation that we would remind one another that this is not about us, that this is about him. And so for us, as the bride of Christ, that we're calling each other to live lives of holiness through his power. We are the bride, then he is the bridegroom. The other picture is that we are a flock, that we stay together, that we work together. And if we are the flock, then he is our shepherd. It's about him, but he wants to work and do something in us and through us. And then we are also called the temple. And if we are the temple, then Christ is the foundation. He is the builder and he is the cornerstone. But these two, he has set it up that the head and the body exist to come together and to do the work that he has called us to do. To be reminding people in this world that we indeed are better together. We sometimes have trouble getting our heads around this. I certainly do. But kids, the kids that we work with, um, just last week, uh, Debbie Rowley, who leads our lower elementary group, she gave us a story, and, and it just shows just sometimes how great kids can pull all of this together. This is what she, she wrote. She said, On Sunday, we learned about Abraham leaving Ur to follow God wherever he led. At our opening activity, kids looked over a variety of items, such as toilet paper, a bottle of water, granola bars, band-aids, a flashlight, and a blanket. And the kids, they were told to choose... From that selection, just three items that they would want to take with them and write them down on their list. Some kids chose water, flashlight, blanket. Another chose water, granola bar, band-aids. Many children expressed disappointment that they could only choose three items. However, one second grade girl showed her wisdom beyond her years when she came up to Debbie and said, You know, if we all traveled together, we'd all have everything that we need. I talk to a lot of people that say and apologize constantly, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a bother. I, I don't want to, I, I'm going to, if, if I tell you what I have to tell you, it's going to be a burden. I, I don't want to give that to you. What is the church for? I think we need to give ourselves permission. We need to give each other permission to be bothered. I think that we need to be able to come out to one another and say, I'm hurting right now. I'm not seeing, I'm not remembering the power of God in my life. And so I need to be reminded of that today. And the enemy's plan is against that. I want you to understand and know how the enemy is working. That shame from the very beginning. I've been reading a book we have in the store, The, the Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. And, and, and shame, what it does is it isolates us. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they, they went and they hid and they were ashamed. They didn't even want to see 
be seen by God. And, and, and Thompson, he talks about, that he looks at the brain. He's a, he calls himself an interpersonal neurobiologist, which is a crazy title. But he looks at how our brain, even our brain has nine different functions and that they are linked. There are links between those different functions when everything's firing and doing it well together. But when we experience shame, even the biology of our brain starts to isolate. Isn't that crazy? And I think we think that I've done something that's a shame. It's a shameful thing. And so I'm going to go into hiding. It's so counterintuitive that we would ever take that shame and then bring it out into safe community as part of the church because the fear is that we'll be shamed again. Right? If, if that second level of shame comes, then you're not talking to the right people. And maybe we're not being the right people. But the way to starve that, the way for us to be the church, to be the bride and the flock and the temple that God has called us to be, we have to come to each other in repentance. We have to come to each other in confession. And we have to just come to each other and give permission to be a bother. We have no idea how good we have it. We are not living in the power of God. And we are not living in the community of the body of Christ in the church that he has given for us. My prayer for you is that you would live into that. My prayer for us as a body is that something would be different for us. That we would be marked by Yes, pain and suffering, but also hope. And that that comes from this place. Because you know what? You're here today. There's some people who didn't come today because they just feel like you all have much better lives than them and they're too ashamed to come here. So reach out. Remind one another. God wants to know us intimately, that we have every spiritual blessing, that we need to be connecting with God and with each other. And that we have power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places right now. Let me pray. God, we ask for your spirit to be moving in each of us to correct our distorted view of what this is supposed to be about and to step deeply into what you are calling us to be work in our hearts. Give us bravery and courage, vulnerability when we need that. That we would listen to the wisdom of second graders who figured out that if we just traveled together that we would have everything that we need. Help us to be that people. As we take these elements this morning, may we be reminded. In Jesus' name, amen.